Hey there, good people, and welcome to another episode of The Finnovator with me, Stuart Bell, a business coach, author, and founder of the Leverage Advice Firm program. And in today's episode of The Finnovator, I want to introduce you to Alastair Barr. Um, the reason why I really wanted to do this uh, podcast, this interview with Alastair, is because right now there's a lot of businesses out there that are back on a growth footing, which is a really fantastic thing uh, if you're in advice practice. But obviously, one of the things about running a business where you know what you're about is expertise and helping apply what you know in your head to change other people's situation for the better is there are certain things that technology can replicate and certain things they can't. In other words, to some degree as a business, uh, you're always going to have that little bit of dependency on finding really good people, motivating them, retaining them, and, and, and basically, yeah, uh, helping them to help you give great advice. Uh, Alastair has probably had more experience in this than most people I know. Uh, he started his journey uh, in the particular space he's in uh, with Grad Mentor, and that's kind of when I first uh, met him. But the time I really got to know Alistair was when we went to San Francisco together on the uh, Implemented Portfolios Thought Leader uh, Tour, where it was such a fantastic trip. Got to meet a lot of startups and I want to thank Santi and the team for sort of giving me that opportunity. Uh, and I got to know a little bit more about Alistair and the person behind it. And frankly, what's most interesting about Alistair is that he's, he's taken kind of a path less traveled in the industry. You know, he's gone down a route which is not the normal way of doing things, which is one of the things I really liked about our conversation. And uh, now that he's taken sort of his focus up a, up a level uh, with his involvement in Striver, I wanted to get him back uh, to talk a little bit about his story to get you an understanding of, of why I think his, his experience is so wide-ranging and why his perspective is so different. Uh, but also talk about, you know, the trips, the tips, traps, and most importantly, the insights they're going to help your business to work out what you need, find the right people, avoid the mistakes that a lot of businesses make when they're hiring and onboarding, and ultimately remove uh, some of those barriers that stand between you and resourcing your business up for growth. So I hope you really enjoy this one. I've called it Build Your Own Superstars because for me, uh, one of the, the optimal areas or one of the areas I like to get businesses to uh, is a place where they don't have to rely on going out there into the market and finding exactly the right person, something I call the unicorn, you know? Nice if we can find it, but it's not consistent, but instead have this ability to bring through, um, you know, people with talent and over a period of time, you know, build them up, train them and get them to a point where they are, you know, their own superstars. I think that is the most sustainable way to do it. And hence the reason I really wanted to dive into how do you do that? How do you take uh, you know, someone with that ability and turn them into your best performer? So... I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, without any further delay, let's just jump in uh, for a conversation with Alistair Barr of Striver, where we talk about building your own superstars. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, what I hope is proving to be a happy Friday for you. Uh, it's been an interesting week and an interesting year, but I hope you're keeping well and uh, all is well. If you listen to this on the podcast a bit later, uh, thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's masterclass. And uh, I wanted to run this one uh, this month, being in a track month, but I wanted to run it because I think the topic is really relevant. I, I think recently I've had more inquiries from, from businesses, contacts, colleagues about their plans to recruit. What's really in, in demand at the moment seems to be the ability to fuel some of the growth that's coming about. Maybe it's because of COVID, maybe it's because of other things, but uh, there's a lot of businesses out there who are looking to add people to the team and go on a bit of a growth path, which almost sounds counterintuitive. 
But um, that's exactly what's going on. And uh, hence, knowing that, you know, you can bring all the clients in in the world, you can, you know, have the greatest marketing strategy, but if it's a business you can't fulfill the need, if you can't, you know, you haven't got like, the bodies uh, to deal with it, it it's going to present a problem. It's going to be the thing that stops you from growing. Um, so Alistair, I wanted to bring in and talk uh, about this and, and various other things. And there's a good reason for that. Alistair and I, I think we, we met, I actually don't know the moment we met. I think it might have been through the FPA many, many years ago. He's been one of these people who's been around in the industry for a while. And his passion and the path he's gone down has been about uh, working with businesses to essentially bring new talent into our industry. Uh, he first did it with Great Mentor. Uh, and now it's, that's evolved into something new called Striver, which I want to talk about today. But what I really want to, want to understand, Alistair, is, is, you know, like myself, you know, there are certain paths in the industry which don't always, you know, follow the norm. Not all of us go admin, power planner, advisor. Some of us find these interesting little niches on the side, whether it's practice management or connecting, you know, really talented people at the beginning of their career with businesses and, and various different other things. And I think it's really interesting from that perspective to see the, the world from those perspectives. I think the other thing is one of the biggest challenges is sometimes in, in, in our industry, we've got some people who can mistake the fact that they, they, they're really good at the financial planning part of things with they're really good at financial planning marketing or financial planning uh, systematization or financial planning recruiting or training talent. And I think sometimes in those cases, it's really interesting to jump into people who are specialists uh, and can give us a bit of insight. Man, I've always enjoyed spending time with Alistair. Even when we went to San Francisco, he's very personable, easy to talk to. And one of these people, the more and more you talk to him, the more you realize he, he not only knows a lot about the industry, but he's very driven about what he wants to do. So I hope you get a lot out of today. And without uh, any further delay or messing around, let's, Al, can we get you off uh, audio and let's get this show on the road, man. Mate, how the hell are you? Oh, I'm really good. I'm really good. And thanks for that intro. Um, yeah, it's, it's a Friday and, uh, and they're always good. So um, that and everything else is really good at the moment, mate. So, and I'm really pumped to have a chat to you today. I am too. I feel like we've, we've sat down and chatted, but never really. It's one of those things where we talk and we always sort of reconnect, but we never, it's not something we do very frequently. I've always really enjoyed talking to you. It's, it's always very comfortable. And, and you and I, I think, share a lot of views on things. Good. Because that's that's, uh, that's cool. That's how I like it. It's better when it's authentic and easy. Do you know what I don't get, man? And maybe someone can explain it. How can you do a course on being authentic on social media? By definition, isn't the act of buying the course in author anyway? You go. Yeah, yeah. Is are there courses on authenticity? Apparently, it's a big thing. I, I just always thought that authenticity um, it's easier just to not have to like. If you've got to pretend about things all the time, like the amount of stress and pain that must put on you mentally and physically, and it must be exhausting. So I don't know. Sometimes being an open book is probably at my detriment, but it's a lot easier, I find. Are you, would you define yourself as an open book kind of person? Yeah, I don't hide anything. And that's probably, yeah, like I'm probably too transparent, but I just think it's easier. I just think like I'm too, there's too much going on in my head to think, Oh, um, I need to not tell that to that, but I need to control that. And, and I grew up in retail banking, right? And knowledge was power. And that was this kind of mantra. And it was awful. It was just awful. And I was like, oh, it's just easier just to probably say too much. And um, as long as you believe it and you say it with genuine, you know, purpose and fashion and, and, and it comes from a good place, then just yeah. hopefully that hopefully that means you won't have to edit anything I say today. 
Well, do you know what? I always, as you know, I always say to people, if you want to eat too, we will, but I've never had anyone go, well, you know, I just, that, that bit where I called so-and-so or so-and-so, never had to. <laughs> well, I won't do that. Get that in. No, I try not to call, I try not to use the word so-and-so wherever I can. Let's, can we start with the big issues? How many, how many striper t-shirts do you have? Oh, my whole family's decked out. I've got a one and a half and a three and a half year old. They've got onesies. They've got hats. They've got hoodies. I have blue, black and white and I've got a black and a blue hoodie. Lots of it. It's everything. In fact, it's our, it's not just our corporate wardrobe. It's our family wardrobe. Now my wife wears a hat to the gym with a striver logo on it. So yeah, we're all over it. It's great. Once started saying you're the Mark Zuckerberg slash Steve Jobs kind of version. I don't know whether they wear their logos on there. I think just their face is their logo. But, you know, That's again, true. growing up in retail banking where you had to wear a corporate wardrobe, I couldn't wait to get rid of it. Now it's like nothing else. When was the last time you wore a tie? Uh, I used to have a, um, when I worked with students, I used to always wear a tie. So I would dress up in front of students and dress down in front of businesses. And so at my events, so yeah, probably, oh gosh. Maybe not this year. Like at our events, I'd wear ties when we used to have them physically. But um, yeah, I certainly haven't worn one on Zoom. So it's my, when my daughter, who's now about six, turned around, we were getting stuff out of the wardrobe and she goes, what's that? That was the point I knew. Okay, it's been a while. It's been I've a while. I've got like, so many of them. <laughs> so many of them. But uh, mate, um, all sort of joking aside, I reckon we could do this all day long. But um, Mate, I'm, I'm keen to dive into because I reckon, as I said in, in the preamble, I, th I, I don't think there's few people in this industry who understand more about what it takes to find really good young talent, bring them through and you know, retain them and get the best out of them. And I really want to dive into that. But first of all, I mean, for people who don't know what Striver is or, if, you know, uh, sort of more about what you do, can you just give us a big overview? What, what do you do? Who do you help? Who's it for? How does it work? Yeah, so we... Um Strivers a year old next Saturday, um, the 19th of September. Um, and it's an evolution of a business called Grad Mentor. We, uh, we sort of digitized that and we rebranded it in the 19th of September last year. Grad Mentor is sort of eight years old. Strivers has been the last year. Okay. And what we've historically done is jump up and down and rant and rave about financial planning as a career path. And we do a lot of work with attracting talent to the profession. And then we work with and coach and support that talent. Yep. And, and select the, the ones that sort of we think fit. And our client base is, has traditionally been, you know, privately owned financial planning firms and who have wanted, you know, attention to detail, um, um, a good work ethic and, you know, the ability to work in a flat structure. And so we knew that and we'd, 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 um, we'd bring those firms and those students and we used to put them in a speed networking event physically. Now we do that digitally and now we do that through the platform. So, Okay. We work with, um, we, we raise awareness of financial planning as a career path. We bring students into it. We coach and groom them. And then we showcase them to the firms that we work with. So the firms that we work with are all, I say, privately owned firms um, that really value um, the support that we can give them, you know, um, attracting, engaging, and retaining good talent and, and, and being the go-to there. So that's what we, that's what we do. Uh, you know, most of our clients are, five to 50 people businesses. We're about to launch it into a, you know, accounting and the broader wealth management uh, profession that goes live in two or three weeks as well. So that's all, um, that's all where we're going with it. So you're going for accounting and law as well. Is that right? No, accounting and, and um, sort of more wealth, man corporate wealth, man wealth management, investment management and so forth. So we've Can never really wanted to work with the large corporates. 
So it's more sort of those, those firms that want to hire every 18 months. That's the sort of firm that we like to work with and where we can work with the decision makers and we understand. One of the things when you were sort of reading it in there about my background is that I, we're a small business too. Yeah. And uh, we're, we've hired three people through COVID. We're about to hire another person. And it is, uh, it is one of the most um, anxious components, exciting, but it's a real, that drives a lot of anxiety in me because I know the poor decision-making. I remember making a poor decision around hiring or somebody didn't work out a few years ago. And I remember saying to one of my mentors, oh, I, feel, I feel like I've done something wrong here. We're in the business of helping businesses find, track, engage and retain great people. And she said to me, no, 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 you, the, this is a good lesson for you because you know the pain of yep. making a bad decision um, and all the things that it means. And it's not just straight line cost. It's all the things that go along with it. So I, uh, I like to, the, the mantra in the way that we do the, run the business is just like put ourselves in the business owner's feet and know what a good and a bad decision can mean for them. So we don't push, we don't force. It's got to be natural. It's got to be authentic. It's got to... It's got to flow with good, um, good rhythm. Since I, I put lots of keywords in that rhythm, and I like it. Things, yeah. I was having this conversation with Rachel the other day, and we were talking about the fact that um, I remember someone said to me, "If I, I, if, I've, if you meet a business owner who says, who says they've never made a major mistake in business, they've not been in business long enough." And the second bit is, like when I was working in corporate, doing what I do now. I look back on that and think I, I was like looking because I didn't have the business side of things. I didn't have my own business at that point. It was almost like looking at it through a very narrow slit. And it's only when you get in there and you're like, oh, okay, you can apply it yourself. I totally, totally agree on that. Um, can I, the obvious question is grad mentor to striver. What was the rationale for the move? And, and you know, what, what were you trying to get away from? And what, what was to striver give you that it didn't have before? Yeah, well, I mean, Grad Mentor still, you know, we still pay homage to it in the brand. The colours are all sort of one colour palette off the old colours and we've we've launched a training platform in the business called Striver Mentor. So we still write really, I still really honour the, the heritage of where we've come from. And we, you know, Grad Mentor was a lifestyle business. It was very manual and, and, and you know, we were, you know, we were making a real difference and, and, you know, there came a point in time a couple of years ago when there was this sort of perfect storm of Royal Commission and education standards and, you know, some pressures around a few things. And, and that was an opportunity to kind of really invest in the business. And so we decided to, you know, move it to a digital platform, which people talk all fancy about technology and stuff. What it means to us is that we get, we actually know our students and our businesses better because through technology, we can collect more data and, and match with better precision. So that so we do all the same stuff and all authenticity. The technology just makes us do it better. And so we we went and said, okay, well we'll do that, which means we can scale and we can do it better and we can and provide a better service. And it was just an opportunity to kind. Of, and we also wanted to broaden out into, you know, more professional services. Um, and so there was an opportunity for us to rebrand and you know, strive and means you know. Um, you know, focus on career, want to get ahead, want to make a difference, eager to, eager to, eager to please and that sort of stuff. So that was kind of, it sort of became a, the idea around the brand was it would attract the right type of people to the tribe. And, and that so that's where we went to Striver. Yeah. And so the, and the colors are, as I said, all like on a color palette, one, one color off the, the grad mentor colors. So we kind of really 
kept the lineage and the homage to the Vogue brand. I would imagine the domain cost you quite a pretty penny. The who? The domain. Striver.careers. Well, it's Striver.careers. So, that would um, expensive. yeah, but we did trademark Striver, so that hadn't been done. So that was kind of cool. Um, oh, look, I can't remember what that was. It was all, um, was all a bit of an exciting blur. You know, we did capital raising, we did tech launches, we did rebranding, we did photo shoots and t-shirts. It, like, it was all pretty exciting. And about a year ago, and there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. I'm really keen to talk about the moment that you flipped, but let's, can we go right back to the beginning? Because I mean, you, you've had quite an interesting journey sort of into it. How did, how did it all start off? I mean, what was the, the beginning of your time in the industry and, and how, where did it, how did it lead you to, you know, I'm going to do this thing of connecting uh, young, yeah, young graduates with businesses? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, I'm West Australian and very proud West Australian um, and, you know, I went off overseas to do my, my university degree in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, and, you know, couldn't get a job in the UK. My dream of living in the UK kind of died as I went back to Perth with my tail between my legs to, to, for my sister's wedding. And, um, and I was washing cars at Volvo in South Perth. Nice. I was having, at my lunch break, I was having a chock milk and a pie, and sitting on this busy highway covered in dust and dirt and just said, this is not what I went to university for. I did a marketing degree. So I went, I was talking to a mate and I ended up going and enrolling in the Securities Institute at the time. Yeah. Something called F for financial planning because it had the word finance in it. And that's all, I, that was probably, and that was the, my grades at university were better in finance than anything else. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do that. And then that day I wrote 12 letters to 12 firms that had F for financial planning and them out of the yellow pages and said, let me come and work for free for two weeks. Just give me a go. And, and we, do, we don't condone anybody ever doing unpaid work, but that's what I did. And, and then I ended up getting a job in a small firm in Perth and worked there for 12 months and drove the car 3,956 kilometers to Sydney and started working in another small firm in O'Connell Street in, in Perth. Uh, sorry, in Sydney, and then um, after about 18 months of that, I really wanted to be in small business. I really had a passion for it, and I just, I don't know, I just felt like they gave me a go and big organisations didn't, and I liked the idea of making my name in a small business, but the one that I was working in here kind of let me down around a couple of things. So all of these are lessons to, to the striver too, right? And yep. so I ended up going and working at Combank, um, and I went into that power planning and then ended up sort of, you know, having time, various stints running parts of their dealer groups and things like that and okay. building out a franchise model for them. And so I had nine and a half years at Combank and then, you know, left there to go and change the world. And um, <laughs> I wrote my MBA on financial literacy in Australia and how to raise it without selling products and went to the desert and worked, did some contracting to Fortescue Midland Workplace Indigenous Workplace Ready programs, you know, teaching the locals how to sort of manage and budget the, the money they were about to make as they went onto the mines. Yep. Um, that was amazing. Sold the house, ran out of money, thought, cheapest I better go back and the nine years, the 10 years at the bank, I, I now have nothing. And I thought, oh, I better go back and do something. I, but I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I gave back. Yep. And, um, and then sort of built grad mentor out of just, um, you know, a lot of people I worked with at the bank were now running dealer groups and they were saying, how did you find good talent for the business? And I thought, well, I went through this various sort of components about getting myself a job. My career was really good, like successful at, at the bank and, and 
So I thought I had a few lessons that I could help young people with. And I also been working with financial planning businesses for nine years. So put it all together and thought, well, let me see if I can help young people avoid some of the hard lessons I learned. And that's, that's kind of the ethos behind it. Did you start the business name first or just go out and start doing it first? Yeah, just started doing it. Like I didn't even know, this is like 2013. I didn't even know there was a financial planning degree. I was in financial planning. I didn't know there was a specific degree. Like I knew there was the RG146 stuff. But so then I went out to Western Sydney University and knocked on the door of the dean and said, can we get your final year financial planning students paid jobs? And they said, yes, please. And so we were sort of sending students all over the place. And then um, I had a conversation with another big bank, not the yellow one. Um, and they said, you know, we want to bring more females into our businesses. And I said, well, I'm not going to send them all over the place. If you put a bunch of businesses in a room for me, we'll bring a bunch of female, uh, female students, aspiring financial planners in. And that never happened. But we, that was kind of what where the idea was born to run these speed networking events. And we went, I went down to BMW and Rashkata's Bay and said, can we bring, you know, 10 financial planners and 10 financial planning students into your office? And they said, how much do they earn? And I said, this much. And they said, oh, they could buy a BMW. So they gave us the floor at BMW and we ran the speed networking event. And that was kind of, from there, it was just go, pedal down, yeah. uh, build it better. And So was the speed networking events, was that the kind of a, a tipping point for you? Was that a big, the thing that you went, oh, that, that really worked? Yeah, like, so that it just kind of gave it a bit of, uh, like, going back, like, uh, there's this business coach that I used to do a lot of work with who used to talk about having your product in your in your services business and then, like, a pre-product product and a post-product product. And I never even thought about that. But then I thought, like, bringing people to a speed networking event where they can meet, like, highly selected groomed people and where we've done all the work and they go, wow, this is inspiring and they're amazing and they're energetic and they're passionate, then then that and, and there was no cost to that and it was just, it was refreshing and we made it easy for them. Yeah, that, that, that I didn't really even realise that was a pre-product product, but it was and, and it is. And so, you know, now it's a bit hard now. People are Zoomed out, so they don't like to do it too much anymore. One day we'll go back to it. We do still do them on Zoom. And they did go well on Zoom originally um, when we went to lockdown. But yeah, it's a really it's a really energetic way to get people um, in front of great students and, and vice versa. And, and like on the platform now, we we represent four percent of the students that come through our platform. So when people come and meet our students, they go, "Oh my gosh, you're amazing!" I said, "Yeah, because we've done all the work for you." Yeah, mate, I I really like that pre-product product. product and product thing. I think it's got a lot right. But um, the Zoom thing's interesting because I, I can kind of concur with that. Like I was sat down with a number of clients and we would, I was asking them about this and the bottom line is, like they just said, you're better off easing off. Just don't do them. Everybody's doing them at the moment. Everybody's exhausted and it's just very hard when you're spending, already spending five or six hours in front of a, um, a thing. People kind of want to consume it in their own way and that's why I think podcasts have kicked in again. Yeah, and I think this forum is a really good one because, yeah, it's good to do it live because it forces us to be on the whole time. But I would imagine that more people will listen to this while they're going for a walk or they're doing something else. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I think that's true. Like, I think Zoom fatigue is a real thing. I was telling you before, and we're doing a transfer of our platform next week, and I've got to get 84 students on a Zoom call individually in yeah. a week. Like, that's intense and then to go and do you know any sort of event 
you know, like so as I see like people running like their their whole conferences now on a day Zoom meeting. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hard. Well, it's uh, like I know from experience that after 50 minutes in a coaching meeting, like even if we're doing it, people's attention starting to wander. You know, not to mention it's it's a anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, yeah. It, sometimes Zoom fatigue. Yeah, when everyone's doing Zoom, stop doing Zoom, do something else. Man, so what was the point? There must have been a point where you looked at it and went, I've actually hit something here. There's a very real need. There's a very real problem. This isn't just going to be about me doing it for one or two people. This is going to be something that is going to grow. Or did it, was it a sudden moment or did it just suddenly creep up on you? No, like, yeah, it's, and it's never been a big bang thing. It's kind of, it just was, Right, like it was a lifestyle business. I had this guy in my ear for years going, this lifestyle business of yours. And and I was like, I quite like my lifestyle business. Leave me alone. I've got a European wife and we would go off to spend time overseas and I'd run a, you know, we'd travel a lot. And and this was obviously pre-kids. And so it was fine for me. And and I had this pressure from this this guy that was saying, oh, do something, do something, do something. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, then there was a kind of a perfect storm of a few things that were going on. I'm like, well, I know there's a need and I know there's some, um, I know we could, we could do more of it to more people and we could put some rigor and structure around it. Mm. Uh, and so that was kind of the moment, like our numbers have, have grown steadily. There's not been a big, like a boom or anything like that. There, there will be now when we start to move into other professions. But um, the, the bigger hot bit was about, um, moving it digital and changing the brand. And that's because it's, now it's a really different business. And, you know, pre-COVID, there was me and outsourced everything and outsourced the whole development team that were sort of full-time on this business and so forth. And since COVID, now we've got four and we're about to employ the fifth person. Hmm. So um, all of that sort of growing and out of that as well, you know, so... What else with your permission? What I want to do, jump. I want to jump in and talk about three areas. You've done a lot of this, and I would love to get your get your words of wisdom for businesses that are out there about how do they find really good people, um, how do they hire well? Because that's a, that's an area that you know if you if you look at a lot of the research, people often get wrong just as often as they get right. And then on the back end, how do you retain and get the best out of it? But before we do, if someone like can you just if someone's listening to this and they go, but yeah, but what what problems do you solve? for my business and how, you know, if they wanted to sort of engage with something that you're doing, let's just put it on the table. What, can you give them a path that they can go down? Yeah. So you, so basically you can go onto striver.careers and join the tribe as a business. And so as, as that happens, you go on and we ask you uh, 13 different pieces of information about yourself. And then you can browse through the talent that we're working with. And then you can put a loaded job description, which will then, you know, ask you another nine questions of the skills that you're looking for and the roles that you're looking for and the education requirements that you're looking for. And then the algorithm narrows down that group of students and puts them right in front of you. So our clients don't necessarily want us to publish jobs on it. We're not a jobs board. So you can't come on and publish a job and then, you know, wait for a thousand applications. You can put a job on there and we'll push you the best three. And if you... Business that should go on there is someone who's thinking of hiring, is planning on doing it, thinks on a growth path. Is there a particular point at which they should be? No, and and we we designed the platform. We went through the process of do we have a subscription model or not, and we don't. Our idea is to get really forward-thinking businesses uh, on the platform where there's plenty of value. You know, when you hire, then there's a fee. But when you but you can go onto the platform, you can set up a profile, you can download CVs, you can you can 
post um, jobs, you can take those job descriptions off and you can put them in your own jobs board and so forth. So there's lots of things on there that you can do. You can explore, you can constantly, you can interview people, you can meet people, you can attend our events. Everything on there is just to make it easier and give you comfort that there's a solution when you need it. You know, and, it, and so with me, I think about that all day. Like I know that I'm going to have this job requirement and I've actually probably got to get it sorted in the next six weeks. And I'm sitting there going, where do I go for that? Whereas the idea that I want with this platform is that this is here. When you're ready, we're here to help you. Gotcha. So just so be on there, have a look, know it's there. I kind of think about there's an email I get from um, a real estate company that has a whole bunch of deceased estates on it, right? And they send me this email once a week. And I look at that email and, and, um, and I'm not in the market for a property. But one day I will be. And yeah. so me yeah. having that come to me and me looking through that is my research. And if I went in two years' time, go, right, now I'm going to go into the property market and have to start from the beginning and have no idea what's going on anywhere. Well, then I'm starting from scratch. Right now, I am... And it's a you know ten seconds of reading through scrolling through an email once a week. That's the idea. Sounds like I should be on it. To be honest, <laughs> um, yeah, I should be. So let's jump into this. Um, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. I, the the areas I'm focusing on is how do you find good people? How do you hire them and retain them? Is there any bit in there that you think is you know I've missed out a, a step in the process that we should also talk about? Or is that the, the three? We most- talk attracting, engaging, retaining. Right. So there's, there's a there's a how to find them. How to get them to say yes and onboard them and then keeping them long-term to get a return on investment. Okay. So let's talk about the attraction piece. Like what are, let's start with mistakes. What are the biggest mistakes you see businesses make when they're trying to find good people? I love Stuart. He's exactly like me. Let's hire him. (laughs) Why is that? Like, why is that a mistake? Well, now that's called diversity and inclusion strategies, but, um, well, you don't need two, two of you. Like the idea is that you employ a diverse set of people who bring different thought patterns, both, you know, demographic and geographic and, and cognitive, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I remember that. And the speed networking events are fantastic. You know, quite often we get, you know, leaders of finan- or financial planners that are quite alpha and great communicators and charismatic and so forth. And they go, oh, Stuart's just like me. He'll be awesome. And then you've got these two charismatic bouncing off the wall people in a room and it's just chaos. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and you know, that's, it's probably an extreme example, but it's a real thing. Like, so what we talk about is just, and this is why like putting the rigor of the technology together is really important because it makes people think, you know, well, what actually is the role that I'm looking for? What is the need of that? What is the, the skill set we we're looking for? What is the, um, the DNA of fit in the business? Um, and um, and what do we actually need? And and stopping and thinking about that and going through that process, and it's really hard to do. And and as I said, like I am in the business now, four people about to be five, and a lot of outsourced moving parts. And I quickly for I quickly go, oh, they're great, they're great. Let's hire them. And hang on, stop. The rigor is. What is it we're looking for? What is the role? What's the outcome? What's the future of that role? What's the what's the um, what's the um, the culture of the team? You know, like we've got now, and we're all remote too. Like with, there's one of us in Melbourne. We we employed a lady in Melbourne that I've never met before, and then potentially going to employ this next one that's going to come in and work 
alongside or above that role. So I don't want to upset the apple cart with her because she's going really, really well. So I need to think about the longer term, how, how they're going to fit, yep. what nuances we need to play with there. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff that needs to go into it. Okay. So that's the first one. Basically, you know, a lot of people hire you know, on that. Oh, someone like me basis. What's another one that people often form, fall prey to? Uh, yeah, not, not thinking about the role, not thinking about the outcome, not thinking about the team, I think. Um, so skipping straight to the interview instead of... Uh, yeah, yeah. Going, yeah. Th- thinking about the role first. Um, like I listen to a lot of Silicon Valley sort of podcasts and stuff like that. And they, they go create a role around the person. That's, I don't think that's the, what we need to be doing in, in professional services firms. We need to be thinking about what is the role long term. I'm also of the the thought around always be hiring too. So a bit of balance around that, you know, finding the right people's good. But if you're going to go in and say, right, this is the role, just be clear on what the role is and what the culture is and what you're looking for. Um, where else have I got, have I seen it go really wrong? What's your view around, like the, one of the problems with hiring salespeople is they interview pretty well because they're salespeople. When you realize you've made a mistake, I mean, how, how soon should you be making that judgment? Oh, straight away. Okay. Yeah. A higher slowly, fire quickly. But then the other thing that we do, like, I mean, we don't sort of talk about this in Striver, but maybe we should because w- this is the way I'm doing it at the moment. So, you know, this, um, this, the most recent hire that we made, um, I started her on 10 hours a week um, casual, then moved her to 20 hours a week casual, and then moved her to full time. And she'll be off probation by the end of this month and she'll pass that. So I, took, I de-risked that all the way through. Yeah. Next one, um, if I had a bit more time, I would pay this particular person to do a um, business plan or something on what I want this role to cover. Um, I don't have the time for that, so I'm going to put this person on a three-month contract, which is the same probably as hiring them permanently with a three-month probation. But the three-month contract means that we're going to have a conversation at the end of three months, and that de-risks it for me. And it and uh, and and so that's a that's a good way to do it because I have to move fast on that. I have had a few conversations with the person I'm thinking about, um, and the and the fit's really good. But then de-risking it for me is a really important one too. Knowing that if I if I need to pull the ripcord, I can, and I think it's good for everybody because yeah, you know we've said this to clients, you know, so counterintuitively as a business model like us, if it's not working, let's call it now. Like let's not hope that it gets better because that we can't we can't run a business on hope. Man, there's a lot. There's a great story I love from Richard Branson. Everyone sort of remembers that the story about you know when he was traveling on a flight. I think it was a New York to London flight, and it was terrible. And he, and he was halfway through. He gets there and says, "Let's start an airline, Virgin." And that's Richard Branson seeding this idea that he's this you know off the cuff, you know, unorthodox. But what a lot of people don't know about Richard Branson is. He hired the planes. He got them on a contract. And at any point in time, if it didn't work out, he could give them back. And Tim Ferriss, I think, said the same thing. He said, the biggest myth about entrepreneurship is that it's about taking risks. This is actually about minimizing risk. So if you can, you know, that's a great example. If you think you've got the right person, but you're not quite sure and you want them to prove it first, get them on a three-month contract. And if they say no, you've got a pretty good sense they're not going to, you know, then they're not going to back themselves to do it anyway. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah, and you, I don't know, it might sound a bit contrived too, but like you, you, want, you want the person wanting to work for you over the other. So like 
we, we all make sure that students go and see a few firms and a few and a firm sees a few students and we talk to both sides of the fence saying you want them to go and do that so i'll say to a business you want them to go and see two or three other businesses because that when they come into your business and they have that first bad day which they'll have you don't want them having buyer's remorse, right? So you want them to go and do it. You want them to be saying yes to you. You want them to be choosing you. And therefore, you're, again, like, if they're choosing you, there's a bit of um, difference in the way they think. And, you know, like, I, I, I'm thinking about this one particular person I'm talking to at the moment who's at a large organisation and they're extending the contract every couple of months for them. And, and then there's two other big corporates that are offering this person roles and, and they're going, well, but I kind of like the idea of this. And so you, you want a bit of that buy-in. Yeah. And I think, I think, oh, here's, and this is probably one back to one of the mistakes. The mistake is that we hire people once the glass of the capacity of the business is full. So generally it's a phone call. Um, uh, Alistair, so-and-so's left, we're, we're gone, or we're just so overwhelmed with work, we've got to hire someone, right? And so if you, if you think about, you know, the capacity of your business being a glass of water and it's overflowing and then you're hiring people, you need to empty out water. I mean, reduce the ability to re generate revenue to then train people. So you, you need to be predicting in your business, you know, how, you know, I'm 80% at capacity. Now we need to hire. So how do you do like, cause that's one of the things ultimately when you hire somebody, your profit's going to take a dip. So yep. if, you, if you, if you, if you got that metric in place, that's something to watch out for straight away. But how do you, you pick the sweet spot? How do you pick that moment where you go, okay, now's the time I should be hiring because this metric is selling me. Oh, well, you, I mean, you're the business coach, but I would just, um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm probably uh, one of these people that goes, well, I'll just work 120% till I get that person up to scratch. Um, but yeah, I think like right now, our business has got a lot more rigor and we're very structured in the way we're, we're we're mapping out all the scenarios and all the variables and how things are going to go. And we, you know, we've, we sort of look at the, you know, we're not in a, we're not in a business where we take money off the table. We're in a business that we just invest all the time. So, um, but like you can see workload flow coming. Like for me, um, you, 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 so you always need to be hiring. You always got to kind of think about where am I going to go next? If I've got a team of six people there and one of them leaves, how am I going to pull the trigger? So that's why our platform's handy because you can kind of go, well, I'm looking, I, I know what's going on over there. But if you, without using that, you've always got to be hiring. You've always got to have that plan, like someone on the bench. What, can I, I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk about um, how you put together the offer. Uh, and, but I also want to talk to you about one of the things you might have experienced this. A lot of business owners, possibly we'd say senior planners, they often get frustrated, you know, because so-and-so doesn't do, you know, doesn't, feel the same way. They don't have the same values. They don't go after it. They're not like go-getters, blah, blah, blah. It's all this stuff. And there's obviously, you know, you're going to get a difference in mindset between people who are employed, have been employees all their life possibly, and those who have sort of in business, not always. How do you, how do you spot the people who are entrepreneurially minded uh, versus the ones who are predominantly going to work for a salary and that's about it? Do you, know, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. Um, and there's a question around just me in general and, and Striver as a business or how we help businesses or what do we look for in talent? 
I mean, I guess if I, if I was to break it down and say, you know, you're your A, B, C, and D players. And if we define an A player, it's somebody who's got that kind of mindset, they go together, they're, they're just going to go beyond it, and they've got the skill set. Whereas there's, you know, I've had a situation with businesses, you bring somebody in and they, they, they promise everything, but once they're inside, they don't necessarily exhibit the same drive. And picking the difference between those can sometimes be really difficult. You know what I mean? Well, I think, I think um, from our perspective, as a business, driver as a business, I, I like to hire people that have um, skin in the game somehow. Yeah. But, um, but what, when we, because we, we work with small businesses all the time, there's a few pieces of DNA that I look for in the graduates that we work with because I kind of look at it two ways. One, we can put them into a you know, a privately owned professional services firm or two, we can send them off to ComBank where they can work in 60,000 people firm, right? And they're two different sets, right? Um, this person who ends up in a small firm could co- probably go and do the, the ComBank thing, but maybe not the other way. Yeah. So the things that I think um, are the things that deliver the right type of um, uh, DNA to work in a smaller firm, which has a flat structure, which is kind of more like a family, a couple of directors, a couple of owners, owners and shareholders are all the same sort of... Um, are different things. There's no... Group. Yeah. Yeah. I look for... They've worked in a family business. Okay. They've, um, they've travelled. They've worked and studied or travelled. Um, they come from country. So they, they don't... From the, from the bush. Um, so they don't... These are not... Not everybody can have these things, but it's the things that these trends give. So if they, oh, they play competitive team sport, so, or been involved in their church or, um, or their religion or, or something like that. So, so the, the sport and religion sort of thing um, helps them becoming really aware of how their actions impact others. Coming from um, regional centres, they're in a small community where they can't get away with murder. So they're very community-minded. They care for their neighbours. They response. They they've got their eye out for everybody all the time. Um, travel. Uh, they've been independent. They've been resilient. They needed to communicate. They need to think outside the box. They needed to think on their own. And family business. I love family business. Um, you know, if it's a if it's a pig farm, and uh, the back of the truck needs to be swept out of pig poo then dad will go and do that. No, dad's not above doing the lowest form of work on there. Like, so in the, in the workforce, you know, not above picking up the phone. It's not like the phone's ringing and go, well, that's not in my job description. <laughs> you know, so those are the sort of traits that, that we look for with young graduates into small or, or professional services, or privately owned professional services firms, um, which is a bit different to the question that you're asking, but. That's, mate, that's spot on. That's, that's literally, and it's, it's funny, I'm listening to that. And I know, it's very, it's very unusual to get someone to go, here's the blueprint. And I really appreciate it. But I'm thinking of someone that I, a business I've worked with and we went through the hiring process and they hired, they're a WA business actually. And they hired somebody whose family had been in business, had traveled, was in the uh, reserve army, ex AFL player. And well, he's from Perth. I mean, Perth is yeah. a large regional town, but everybody, everybody. All <laughs> right. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't mean that offensive. No, I'm from Perth too. I completely get how clicky it is. <laughs> My mum lives in Perth. I've spent a lot of time over there. So it's, 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 got, it's, it's a beautiful place, a lot of wealth there, but this, it's got this feel to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's really useful. So that's, that's the blueprint. So whoever... Yeah, when, that's, the, that's the Striver's secret sauce right there. There we go. We'll cut that bit out. Um, can we talk a little bit about the, the offer? So, I mean, like, 
particularly with your market, because they're coming out of uni, right? And they may have expectations about what they're worth and what they're not worth, which is true. Everybody has those expectations. How do you manage that when somebody comes in and goes, I'm worth a million dollars and you're like, eh. and how do you put in front of them a, an offer to your word, which is going to mean that there's grow room, there's wiggle room, and there's ideally some skin in the game. So this is for the students that we get jobs and we work with? I guess um, that's the best way of doing it. But in a broader thing, there's probably some people listening who maybe had a crack at this and failed. Yeah, so we set expectations with all our students. And, we, and we're lucky because the new entrants. Like we do occasionally get job um, career changes and we sort of have to set that expectation. But we very much need to set the expectation that they're going into a privately owned firm that they're going to start them on 50000 bucks or whatever it might be which is generally around about the ballpark. Okay. If they're going in right, first drop out of university, away they go. And so, you know, I remember, I've just done this so many times now for so many years. I remember one student saying to me, well, and I sort of said, how much do you expect to get paid? And they said, well, my friend's getting paid $100,000 at Macquarie Bank. And I said, okay, but they have a job at Macquarie Bank and you don't. So how much do you expect? And so I've, I've learned to, I've learned to be a little bit more tactful over the years, but, um, so we just roll it off and, and, and we, you know, it's part of our pre-recorded, almost like a pre-recording. These are the things. So your salary expectation should be $50,000 plus super and it will only ever go up from there. And that's, um, you can tell that I've said that a lot of times. Uh, so we set that and, and, and really with the, with the university grads, if they balk at that, we know there's going to be a problem. And because we say to them, if you want to list the top five things are most important when you have your first job for your career and salaries higher than number five, you're out of whack. Mm. It's got to be the purpose of who you're working for, the culture, the service, the brand, the people, the management, the leadership, the career development. There's so many things that are so much more important than a starting salary for a graduate because it'll be a rounding error in years to come. True. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to a lot of people who'd come through sort of out of corporate. And I think you reach a point in your career where it's less about the money and who you're surrounded with and who you're learning from. And I think the sooner you can get to that point, the earlier, the, the, far, the better you're going to be as a person. Yeah. Well, and I, I, like I rarely do get an issue now where a student goes, that's not going to, I can't do that. You know, like Sydney, so like, I remember when I first moved to Sydney, there were three, three of us bunked in a flat in Bondi beach and it was fantastic. And I never got paid a lot of money back then. And it, we managed and had a hoot and I never went without anything. And so it's just, this is how you do it. I remember my first flat inspection down in Bondi. It was just off, it was near the beachfront hotel and I wanted in and there was, <laughs> it was, it was a student that I, I was in a suit and they showed me the room and I was like, what's the blanket for? And he goes, Oh, that's, that's your roommate. <laughs> and it was like, it was too, it was nuts. It was crazy. But that's Sydney back in the early 2000s. Yeah. You do what you got to do. You do. Um, I wanted to ask one other thing, skin in the game. That's such, I mean, getting people, I mean, it, 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 that's important for you know, senior people. It's important for people who are coming through and so few businesses. Actually, I want to ask two questions, but that's the first one. How do you get skin in the game? How we done it? Or like, it's, it's different. Like when working with a university grad, like, you, you know, you probably got a few years down the track before you're sort of doing that sort of thing. But either it's a profit share, you can give them a profit share in, in their bonus or the incentives. We're in a situation now that we, you know, we have some equity that we've, we've sold and built out and we put some of that together for people and so we can pay a mix of salary and equity. 
and the, you kind of know you got skin in the game where you bring them on at a lower salary than they had before on the promise of the upside of equity. And that's, that, that is a really um, comforting motivator. So I've got two people in, uh, one person in the business now that has equity and has been paid in equity and has bought equity. Is that important to do both? Um, I think initially, yeah. And for the right type of person. And then because you want them to think like a business owner. Uh, so if, they, if they're putting money in, they'll think like a business owner. If they're um, getting paid a bonus in equity, it's a retention strategy. That's really important. So I think purchase. Purchase, they think like a business owner. Equals and if they're paid in equity. Equals, uh, so to, in other words, to get them business involved, business owner. Whereas if you're paying a bonus, it's just retention. I just came up with that then, but that's the, I'm just thinking about the two type of people in my business at the moment that are, that are on the structure and that's how it goes. That's good. So, oh man, we could go in so many different places. Let me ask quickly, like how do you offset... Like I, we used to say that a bonus lasts, a bonus of pay rise lasts about lunchtime on the day you get it. Yeah, not equity. Not equity, because it, it's the gift that keeps giving. Yeah. I love that model. And, and you know, like I have a person in the business that was in a business beforehand and was paid three years of bonus in, in, in equity. And when they started the business to the time they left, it was 10 times more valuable the business. So this, So say they had a... $1,000 bonus for the year one. They walked away with hundred grand from this that year. Two, can I add that's, see that's So, you know, like that all of a sudden, when they know that that's the potential of that, that's big. Well, I was going to say, there's two things that I, I've, I've found really useful when it talks about equity. First thing, particularly when you're dealing with young people or younger people, don't necessarily assume they know what that means. They got no idea. So you, you've got to sit down and go, Imagine that you had a tree that produced apples, right? And someone said, would you like to have half of this tree and help me look after it? And you grew it until it's producing 100 apples. That's equity. As opposed to giving you a bunch of money that you spend on Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And I th- I, well, and I think like, you know, there's probably a whole lot more case studies with Silicon Valley and tech firms of young people, you know, starting off and then walking away with, you know, a really solid chunk of cash. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and it's more of a more of a thing now too, right? And especially when you're a business that's that's growing, it's easier for me to pay someone ten percent of their salary in equity than it is to pay it in cash. Yep. The other thing I've I've, I've been I should probably point out is make sure if you're going to give equity, you get a really really good contract. Yeah. yeah. One that basically says, you know, if this person goes off the deep end, loses their, sh- you know, whatever that we have the ability to buy back those shares at a pre-agreed price. It's an app- Yeah, you, you, you kind of have to have that. You, you kind of have to have that probably with most of your shareholders too, that, you know, we'll just parachute you out if it's going to get painful. Got to be a mandatory buyback under certain circumstances. Don't fall prey to that one. That's a bad one. Um, yeah. one of the, what, can I can just pick up on something. Uh, how are we doing for time? This has been really good, Alice. I've, hopefully, I'm, yeah. Um, you mentioned that's how important it is for businesses to have a proposition, a culture, a vision, a purpose. Small businesses are typically not great at this. Would you would you agree with that, or do you think it's changed? Yeah, I think we probably just been had it drummed into us over time by some sort of person that's got a five day off site to build a block of paperwork that we're going to put on the desk and never look at. Yeah. So. Um, but, but to me, it's really kind of simple. And I remember when I did some study 
and it was sort of like if you go into business uh, just to make money, it's your likelihood of success is going to be lower. So it's sort of like what's the problem you're trying to solve? What's the what's the um, good you're trying to prolong or the bad you're trying to write or whatever it is? And, and that's purpose. That's all it is. Like why am I doing what I'm doing? And um, and then and and then that just anchors everything to it. So it's just purely being able to answer the question really clearly. What is the problem I'm trying to solve? Yeah. Or what is what is the problem I'm here for? And then and then that's your purpose. And then you can anchor everything to that. And then money will come and all that sort of stuff. And sure, we're all shareholders of all directors, and we all need to you know feed the family and make profit. And, and so that's like you know. Clearly, return on investment for the shareholders is the number one. But if you anchor the purpose of the business to the problem you're trying to solve, everything rotates around it. And then when you're talking to a young person, you're not talking about how you're going to make me more money. You're going to talk about how you're going to come on the journey to solving this problem that we've got. I'm going to ask you a question in behind something. How, how, at what point did you become really interested in Silicon Valley growth methodologies? It sounds like it was quite a while ago. Oh, no, like... Probably since we went tech, right? And, and I've had it all sort of drummed into me and made to listen to all the books and things like that. And I don't necessarily think a lot of it's, like a lot of it has zero relevance to, you know, professional services firm. But yeah, just, um, it's kind of interesting. I think I enjoy listening to it. Um, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to be Mark Zuckerberg. I don't want to be Mark Zuckerberg. I just want to make a difference and I don't want to be scaling up and flying around and just have no interest in any of that. But I think some of the thinking is really interesting. You know, the way that people are remunerated, the way people are engaged, the way people think about problems and solve problems and the way they, they the, the, um, I think it's probably a more American thing than anything. Like it's okay to stuff stuff up like and take risks. And, you know, I remember leaving Combank after 10 years and people, you know, people with massive mortgages were looking at me and they were having heart palpitations going, how could you do this? Surely you're going somewhere. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go to the desert and sell the house and just work it out from there. I were like, oh my god! So I've always been like a like a risk taker and things like that. And now I've got a family. I was oh, maybe I shouldn't be a risk taker, but anyway. So like, that's probably why I like listening to those sort of things because it gives me hope that the risk taking one day will pay off. And I'm the same. I had a friend of mine who was CEO of a foreign exchange company at the time, and we had this conversation about. He said it's just too. He said it's too risky. For me to start my own business. So I was like, dude, your entire income comes from one person and that could change in a heartbeat if they just change management, they don't like you. That's risky. Not- oh, I absolutely think job security and big corporates way lower than in your own business. I, I get out of bed every morning and determine whether I've got a job or not. Well, yeah. No one else determines that for me. I like being unemployed. <laughs> Mate, um, I, we could keep going on this all day, but um, can you give me your take on retention i mean what's what do you think are the big things that if you want to keep you get a really good person and you want to keep them long term and you want them to grow into the business and in particular what's going on right now where you want them to be the succession plan what are your biggest tips and things to do and things to avoid don't make any assumptions understand what the hot buttons are and the drivers are get to know the human don't make assumptions understand when you say hot buttons can you go just tell me a bit more about that 
Well, don't assume that everybody's driven the same way as you are. Like you were talking earlier about, you know, I can't get people to, you know, treat the business the same way I treat it or drive. And like, don't assume that they're turned on by the same things or motivated by the same things or have the same sort of things, you know, that sort of kick them and drive them um, because we're all different and that's, you know, a beautiful thing. So um, understanding, you know, like even yesterday was a Are You OK Day and we did this, I got the team all listening to this webinar and, and things like that and just just kind of taking the time to really understand people because you know i'm manic like i just go a million miles an hour and i can create complete destruction around me as i do that if i don't stop to make sure that everybody's sort of okay and on track and engaged and empowered and i know what's what's what their motivators are yeah that's there's a, quite an art to that and it's not as it, and it's not it can't be put in a, in a in a weekly catch-up it needs to be authentic again so I just think, you know, making sure that everybody's aligned. If if people resign from your business and you're surprised, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So, you know, take the time to understand the motivators and drivers and so forth. And if you want to keep people in the team, take them on the journey with you, involve them in decision-making, engage them early. Like, you know, we've got a 23-year-old graduate in the firm and she knows everything all the strategic decision-making and so forth, probably transparency at the detriment of things, but also that she, she's completely on the bus, I think. One question on that. If you're, can we assume that the annual performance review is dead? It's got to be more frequent than that and, and more informal. What's your take on that? No, so I think, um, I think if there's surprises at the annual review, then you're doing it wrong. What do you mean by that? Like surprises for you, surprises for them? Yeah, don't let, um, don't, uh, you should be having constant regular input and feedback all the way along the journey. Okay. You know, so we, when we do annual review, we'll say tick, 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 here's a new remuneration. Are we all happy with that? Okay, on. But if you're sitting there talking at a annual review and the performance is being discussed and everybody's surprised and there's a disconnect between what your expectation and what the outcome was, then you've done it wrong. You show, there should be constant feedback all the way along. In other words, I don't not necessarily over communicate, but if, you know what? If you go just off, make it make it casual, regular communication about what's going on and, and constant regular feedback. Don't don't make it a don't make don't wait till your annual to sit down and talk about the outcome. How's it going? You know, what I used to love to do when I was at Horace when I had a small team. I used to love to we do performance reviews. We'd walk into botanical gardens, go for a coffee down in the middle there, and come back, and that was the review. Yeah, uh, perfect. Perfect. And perfect. It, Give constant regular feedback all the time. If somebody's if somebody hasn't delivered what you need them to deliver to the state or the standard you need them to deliver, let them know. Don't make it a surprise. There's nothing worse than walking into a performance review going, I hope this is going to be a good one. Absolutely. You should know. I mean, you should, yeah. If you that's 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 very, very good advice. Matt, I've just noticed the time. I know you've got to get on. You've got to run. Can you just give a quick idea if you know what kind of what kind of people are you got coming out right now for what kind of businesses? This is probably the best set of students that we've ever worked with. Um, I think COVID sort of spat that up. Large organisations have let them down. This is a really great opportunity for smaller privately owned firms to pick up really great talent that, you know, six months ago might have been stuck um, uh, or might have ended up in, in Deloitte or something like that. All of those big organisations have dropped their um, grad programs and left a whole bunch of young people in, in, in the lurch. So this is probably, a, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity to pick up talent that are going to stay local and um, not get wrapped up into this large organisation. So you still need to, you need, still need to, you know, with rigor, hire the right people. Yeah. But, um, there's a lot of really great talent now. The hard ones picking the right one. Yeah. 
deal with that, but just know um, that, you know, make sure this is a good opportunity to get your resourcing right. Love it. Alistair, thank you so much. Any final words of advice, mate? No, but if there's anything I can ever help anybody with, I'm always happy to have a chat. Clearly, we've talked over an hour now. I'm, I'm okay for a chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to go, mate. Uh, if you, you want to get in contact, you want to get, well, get straight off the bat, get on the platform. It sounds like it's just a no-brainer. careers. check me out on LinkedIn, reach out, ask for my help, send me a message, whatever you need. A bar at striver.com? Striver.careers. Striver.careers. Mate, what have you got planned for the weekend? Anything good? I'm going to hang out with my boys. Uh, you enjoy hanging out with your boys? and skateboarding. Uh, once again, are you going skateboarding? Skateboarding. Sorry, did you say K-boarding? Skate. S-K-A-T-E. Yeah, snowboard, all right? I do. But it's not, yeah, not, the snow's no good at the minute. No, it's terrible. Thank you very much. If you're listening to this on the group, thank you. If you're listening on the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for the next one. I'll have a weekend and I'll speak to you. Thanks, mate. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, uh, another episode of The Finnovator. I hope you really enjoyed that one. Uh, and I hope you have taken something from that that can make it easier for you to find your next hire or uh, get the best out of the people you've got currently or just escape some of the mistakes that we, you know, what we all make along the way in terms of the people we engage. Hey, it's coming into the end of the year. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. I can't believe how slowly it's gone at times. Uh, It has been a crazy year. It's been a tumultuous year. It's been a year of learning. It's been a year of challenges. And it's also been a year that a lot of us will um, remember for many, many years. I'm hopeful. Uh, that 2021 is going to be a bit of a tipping point. Uh, we've been through some hard yards in the industry. Um, we've had been hit by multiple, <laughs> multiple different sharks at the same time. I did a uh, an interview with an author uh, for uh, an article in FPA's Money and Life magazine where we talked about the impact of COVID. And I said uh, during the interview that I thought this was one of five things that had hit most advice professionals. Uh, over the last 18 months, you know, fascia and Royal Commission and licensees closing down. And ironically, this is the one which has been the most predictable. But 2021 for me, I've, I've long spoke to people on the program about the fact that I think the work that uh, people are doing right now to adapt, uh, to find efficiency in their business, to uh, try and make what a time are some just impractical and unworkable um, output coming from the legislators into something that is workable. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so... Proud, I guess is the word, of um, the way that so many of you have adjusted to these challenges and come out of it with such resilience and on the front foot. And that's not to say there haven't been challenges along the way. Uh, if you're anything like me, there have been times when you've kind of stared into your monitor or wanted out of work and, and, and just wanted to sort of uh, turn it all off. But um, there's a tipping point coming. There's a point at which te- te- technology and process and hopefully the easing down of certain unworkable legislation flips and uh, some of the hard work that you've done over these past 18 months, if not longer, is going to start to pay. Uh, I'm looking forward to 2021. Uh, If you have got a plan for 2021, then um, great. I hope you make it an absolute killer year. But if you are interested in meeting 2021 head on, if you'd like to get the best possible start, I'm about to start doing some work with our program members on setting themselves up now for the year ahead. In other words, we do a lot of the thinking before we go into the Christmas break, which means when we come back uh, refreshed and uh, hopefully with our minds completely disconnected from work from a period, we've got kind of some tracks laid down to start off. So if you are interested in working with a coach like me, 
in 2021, either you know, hands-on in a full coaching relationship, or you'd just like to access uh, what I think is the most comprehensive practice management or resource in the world, feel free to visit our website, outdare.com.au, and check out uh, check out under for practices. There's some uh, there's some of our programs there, including Leverage Online. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back with another episode of The Finnovator. And as always, I hope you have a great week and stay safe.